Jesus said a lot of really interesting things in the three years of ministry when he walked this earth. He said a lot of things that we nod our head along with. and We'd maybe even say, amen, that's right. There's a lot of things that Jesus said that would cause us to almost stop in our tracks and, and ask the person next to us, did he really just say what I think he said? But sometimes Jesus would say something that was so radical and so bold that sounded so crazy that at that moment you just didn't even know what to say. For the past few weeks we've been talking through some of these sayings that Jesus has said. Some of these crazy, bold, audacious, obtuse sayings trying to gain some traction to understand what, what is Jesus really meaning here. And I think every time we come across one of these sayings, it's easy to move quickly past it and not really give it much thought. But what Jesus wants us to do is to stop and examine it and see that he's drawing us into a deeper discussion, into a deeper conversation. So a couple weeks ago, we started off uh, this new series called Jesus Said What? by looking at the idea of rest. And Jesus says that, that rest isn't actually found in a vacation or in a cup of coffee and a nice book or in a glass of lemonade on the deck watching the sunset like we think it is, rest is found only in him. Last week we saw Jesus said, actually, if, if there's something that's causing you temptation, leading you towards sin, that actually it's better for you to cut off your hand or tear out your eye. These are hard sayings. But again, Jesus has a deeper meaning. But I, I don't know that anywhere in the Bible there is a more interesting saying than what we see today in John chapter 6, where Jesus says something that should stop us in our tracks. John chapter 6, verse 53 and 54, here's what Jesus says. Notice, Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Huh. You know, Bible, biblical scholars are 99.999% sure that Jesus wasn't into cannibalism. So there's something else going on here. There's a, something deeper at play. Jesus is trying to draw us into something about ourselves, something that has the power to change our life if we could just understand it. But we have to get past the, the obtuse nature of his words first. So that's what my goal for us today, because I believe if we can understand what Jesus says about this idea it actually has the power to change the way we live our lives today, tomorrow, and forever. So let's, let's dig into this and see if we can make sense of what Jesus has for us today. But before we do, would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, the opportunity we have to gather together in this place, uh, to bring the church together in these rooms, uh, to sing these songs, Lord, that stir our hearts and our affections for you and open up your word together today. Lord, I pray for families in, in our church and in our community, uh, in, in our network, and in this country, Lord, that have uh, just been walking through really difficult seasons. We pray for the Callenbrooks. Uh, Lord, we pray for the Bornhefs. Uh, Lord, we pray for just uh, you and your presence to be, to be felt and to be sensed by these families as they've lost so much. Uh, Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for, uh, Lord, for you to move in us and to stir us up and to help us be the people that you've called us to be. Father, today, as we look at this really difficult text, I pray you help, uh, as, as Adam prayed, give us fresh ears, fresh eyes, fresh hearts to receive this today. 
And Lord, speak to us in a, in a unique way to see, help see ourselves in this story and have, see Jesus speaking directly to us and to our hearts. So Father, I pray as we leave today, we look more like Jesus than when we came. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. This week I came across uh, an article, and it just kind of caught my attention, and, and I had to read it. I, I'll be you guys, but you ever come across the, uh, an article with a list, and you just can't help yourself? Right? It's just the list. You know, it's the five ways to become a better godly father, or the seven secrets to, uh, to grow in your faith, or the three tips to look more like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, you just like, you have to, to read it. The thing is, I, I never actually read the article. I just read the list. You guys do that too? You're like, I'm just going to scroll real fast and see these, these things and try to, to say, hey, does that apply to me? Or, or how am I doing in this area? Or I'm not doing so great there. Well, this article really stood out. It was ways to get the most out of life. And I thought, hmm, that's good. I think we all want to get more out of life. And so I read this list, and it was, it was interesting. It was good. You know, it had things like stop comparing yourself to others, be present, be grateful, eat well, sleep more, set a challenge and stick to it, become a morning person. These are good, good things. And so I, I looked at this list, and I was intrigued because I'm wondering, well, what, what am I doing now that, that I need to stop? And what, am I, what are some things I'm not doing that I need to start so that I can experience more out of life? So I think all of us, if we were honest with each other, we would say that we want to experience more out of life. We feel like there's, there's something more out there for us that we're not really grabbing a hold of yet, that we're not really experiencing to the fullest. And we think, if I can just discover this right combination of work and play and relationships and, and, and hobbies, then I'll, I'll, I'll find it. I'll find fulfillment. And so we think in our lives that we can have this meaningful life and we can find value and we can find purpose if we can just get a hold of what that thing is that's really drawn us in. Now, for, for some of you, you guys might look at this differently. You might look at this list and, and find different things. But ultimately, all of us, in a way, say there are certain things in life that bring meaning and that bring purpose. And for some of that, us, that may, maybe it's a relationship or it's, it's a job or it, it's, it's, it's being healthy or it's looking a certain way. Or it's traveling. It's finding that, that dream job, that dream home, being able to retire where you want to. We think to ourselves, if I don't ever get those things, then will I ever really feel full? Will I ever really feel satisfied? Will I really ever really feel like I have the meaning in my life that I want? So I want to ask the question. I want you guys just to think honestly for a moment. What is it right now in your life that you are drawing meaning from? Like, what is it in your life right now that you are looking to for life? That's kind of a weird question, isn't it? I think maybe the better way to ask the question would be to say, what is that one thing that you are hoping will make you feel full? Like, what is that thing for you? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's a relationship that you don't have. Maybe it's, it, it's your health. It's what people say about you. It's, it's what you want people to say about you. It's how you want to look and feel. We've all got something in the blank there. What is it for you? What's interesting in John chapter 6 is we see this conversation that Jesus has with the crowd of people who feel like they have found life. That they've been looking for the meaning of life, they've been looking for purpose in life, and they think they found it in Jesus. And so they, they are, 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 this crowd is following Jesus around trying to experience life. Now imagine if you were living in Jesus' time and 
You're living in Galilee, and you hear the story about this man named Jesus who's at this wedding in Cana, and he turns water into wine. But it was at the end of the wedding, and he brought in the good wine. It wasn't the box wine you get at the grocery store. I mean, this was the good stuff, the top shelf stuff. Like, how, how did that happen? Why didn't you go check this guy out? Well, you hear another story about the, he's in Capernaum, and then there's a Roman official whose uh, son is sick, and he, he's on his deathbed, and he meets Jesus, and Jesus heals him from miles away. Or you hear the story about Jesus, he's in Bethsaida, and there's a, a crippled man laying on a mat who hasn't walked in decades, and Jesus walks up to him and says, pick up your mat and, and, and go. And you think, oh, man, i got to go listen to hear what this guy has to say, because it sounds like a miracle worker. It sounds like something special, this Jesus guy. And so by the time we get to John chapter 6, we see that there's this really giant crowd following Jesus around. Thousands of people, John says. And, and uh, Jesus, this is actually one of two miracles that all four Gospels teach us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John says that Jesus sees this crowd and decides that he's going to step into this crowd and he's going to minister to them. There's people bringing their sick and there's people who are, are blind and deaf and um, all these things. And so Jesus and the disciples kind of go in the midst of this crowd and they start healing and they start doing what they do and teaching and all of a sudden it gets late. And so... Uh, Philip looks at Jesus, and he's like, hey, it's getting late. We need to send these people home so they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, well, you give them something to eat. And the disciples are like, we do not have enough money to ever to buy enough bread to even begin to feed all these people. But then Andrew, great, great name, by the way, Andrew says, well, hey, Jesus, there's a, there's a boy over here who's brought his lunch. He's the only one who thought ahead. Two fish, five rolls. Jesus has set everybody down in groups of 50 and I'm going to do something. So they, they sit down. It says there's 5,000 men plus their families. So they estimate between 15 and 20,000 people. So we've got a, the, the Nugget Stadium, you know, ball arena full of people spread on the grass. And Jesus blesses this bread. And all of a sudden he feeds 15 to 20,000 people right there in that setting. It's crazy. It's incredible. But something happens, like the tide turns. Not only is the crowd there to, to experience the miracles and see what Jesus does and kind of check them out, but all of a sudden now Jesus fed them. And so they start to say amongst themselves, like, there's something special about this guy. Notice what they say in verse 14. In John 6, 14, it says that when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So the crowd said, holy, hold on. This is the guy we've been waiting on. This is the one that's going to actually lead us to be our king. He's the prophet. Not only is he going to help us get freedom from Rome, but he's going to feed us. Like, this is a good deal. But Jesus knew this. He felt this, and he had a lesson to teach. So it says that Jesus, he, he withdrew himself. He kind of vanished. And he went off to the mountain to pray. So he leaves the disciples there with fifteen to 20,000 people and all these leftover food. And he picks up the food and he puts it in baskets. And the disciples get in the boat and they are going to travel across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. And so it's just the disciples. There's another boat there. The disciples think Jesus is going to take that boat and meet him over there. But about a few hours later, about three or four miles across this really big lake, the Sea, you know, the sea of Galilee is really big, um, they, they about three or four miles over, the disciples look over and they see Jesus walking on the water. Jesus gets in the boat and all of a sudden they're at shore. Like, whew. wow, just another day in the life of following Jesus, I guess. 
So they're over there that night. The next day, the crowd wakes up or they come back. And remember, the thousands of people who've left their homes to follow Jesus. The crowd is looking for Jesus on the, the, the shore where he left them. And they see only one boat is gone. But they saw the disciples get in that boat. So they're wondering, where's Jesus? So they get in boats. And this crowd follow, goes all the way across the sea. Could you imagine? It's like a, it's like a yacht uh, a yacht race, right? These guys are all crossing the Sea of Galilee to get to Capernaum. They get there. They find Jesus. They catch up to Jesus, and Jesus is waiting for them. He knew they were coming because he's got a lesson to teach. He's got something deeper to draw them into. And so it sets up one of the most interesting exchanges we see in the entire Bible. So if you have your Bibles, just look at this. John chapter 6. I, I want to kind of walk through this conversation that Jesus has with the crowd. Because you have to wonder, why did they follow Jesus? Why did the crowd follow Jesus across the sea? Was it because they saw Jesus and they said, here's the Son of God, the one who's going to take away our sins? Or because they saw Jesus and said, here's our meal ticket? See, Jesus knew it. They came because they wanted more food and they wanted to make him king. So notice what Jesus does. Look what he does here. He uses this picture of bread. Those little rolls that boy had in his lunch pail, Jesus is going to turn that around for them. Notice this. John chapter 6. Let's start in verse 25. It says that when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. Anytime he says truly, truly, he, he's saying this is an authoritative statement I'm getting ready to give you. This is, this is God speaking to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. See, this crowd, they, 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 uh, they knew something was, was missing. And they thought Jesus was going to fill it. They knew that something was wrong, that they weren't quite yet there yet, that they weren't quite where they wanted to be, and they thought Jesus was the answer, that Jesus was going to be that life that they were looking for. But I think we do the same thing. I think we probably would have done the same thing if we were in the crowd that day. We may just go about it a little bit differently. Because I think we all know, if, if, if we're being honest with each other, we all know that we aren't quite where we want to be in life, that we feel like something's missing, that we were created for more than we experience. The crowd saw it, and they thought Jesus was the answer. Jesus was going to lead them to freedom. Jesus was going to fill them full of bread. They were going to be able to follow him, and now they had meaning and purpose. They followed Jesus. See, for us, we, we try to find our meaning and purpose a little bit differently. Typically, we try to fill it with something in life, and when that doesn't work, we move over to the next thing. So we think, well, it's a relationship. If I could just get this relationship, it's really going to fill me up, give my life meaning and value. And then it's great. A relationship's fantastic, but it doesn't quite do it yet. So we say, well, I'm going to pour myself into work. So I pour myself into work, and that's good. And then I kind of get a little burned out, and I say, that's not going to do it yet. So then I pour myself into a hobby. And I say, I'm going to start traveling, or I'm going to hike, bike, and ski, whatever it may be. And, and, and then we, we find that that's nice, but it doesn't quite get us there. It just seems like we're just... So close, but yet so far. But yet we still in our mind think that like a good chef, if we keep mixing up the ingredients, we're going to come up with the right solution. We're going to find that right combination, and then we're going to finally feel fulfilled and feel happy. So God, help, me give, help give me what I'm missing. And so we're looking to Jesus for the same thing, just like the crowd was. Jesus, give me that thing that I am missing. But Jesus is telling us that look, I, I understand that deep down you have a hunger for life and for purpose and for meaning, but yet you end up filling your lives with those things that 
don't last. And so Jesus looks at the crowd and he challenges them. He says, you got to think bigger than your stomachs. You, you didn't come follow me because of the signs you saw. You followed me because of the bread. So Jesus says to them, you're concerned about your stomach, but God is concerned with your heart. So stop looking for food that fills your hunger, but look for food that fills your life and your heart and your soul. Let me ask you, when was the last time you were really hungry? I mean, I'm like, like, not just a little hungry, but really hungry. Some of you may not have breakfast. You might say, right now. Like, right now, I'm really hungry. And if that's you, we've got donuts in the lobby. Don't worry. We've got you covered. But when was the last time you were just so hungry, you just felt like you could just eat anything? A, a number of years ago, the company I was working for, we uh, were traveling to, to Michigan. And we flew into Detroit. Uh, we were heading to Kalamazoo to visit one of our clients. And so we get in the car, early morning flight, no time for breakfast, get in the car, drive to Kalamazoo, a couple-hour drive. Uh, we meet with a client, maybe have time to grab an old granola bar or something like that. And then we, we, we had to fly out the next day. So busy day, full of meetings. We get in the car, and we decide we're going to stay in a suburb, a little further than a suburb, Ann Arbor, Michigan. By the way, beautiful, beautiful little, little town. Kevin will tell you all about it. But we went out, and we're kind of looking for something to eat. And we are, at this point, just starving. And so we asked somebody at the hotel, hey, where's a great place that you would recommend eating? And they said, Knight's Steakhouse. It's K-N-I-G-H-T. So we go and we say, okay, let's go. So we go to Knight's Steakhouse. Of course, there's like a 30-minute wait. And we were just like getting ready to gnaw off our arm at that point. We were so hungry. Finally, we get in and there's this restaurant. It looks like it's 1973 in the restaurant. Still round tables with chairs with coasters so you could slide around. It was actually pretty fun. So we get, we ask them, hey, what do you recommend? And they say, yeah, it's such and such steak. And so we get these steaks and wow, I mean, this was the best steak outside of my own steak, of course. This was the best steak that I think I've ever had in my life. And so me and my coworker Ron, uh, we, we just chow down and it's steak and it's green beans, it's mashed potatoes, it's bread rolls, whatever you can get to the point where I, I'm like, can you roll me out in this chair? Like, you know, like the coasters on the, can you just roll me out? We get back in the car, and I tell Ron, I said, I'm never eating again. Like, I am just so full. This is, it was not a good idea. I'm not sure I'm going to ever eat again. And I'm pretty sure by 10 o'clock I was hitting the vending machine that night. You ever been there? You're so full, so hungry. You can eat, eat so much, so full, never want to eat again. But what happens? It doesn't last. So I think Jesus is teaching us something about life by using this picture of bread. He's saying that the bread that you fill up on life, the bread that you're looking to make you full and to make you feel satisfied and fulfilled, it's never going to truly last. So Jesus is telling us here that if you're looking to fill up on the things that perish, they won't last. You need to fill up on the things that do. Jesus says this. He says that our lives will never feel full if we're filling up on things that fade. So what is it in your life right now that you're filling up on that fades? What are you trying to fill up on right now, thinking and hoping this is going to be it? See, this crowd was hungry, but they didn't realize what they were hungry for. They thought they wanted more bread. They thought they wanted freedom from Rome. Those are good things. Those would have been gifts. But they were looking for the gift and not the giver. So deep down, all of us inside of us are trying to fill a hunger by feasting on something. Work, relationships, hobbies, addiction to pills or bottles or drugs or whatever it is, but all those things fade. They don't stay and last. So for you, what is your bread? Jesus is saying this. Whatever you are feasting on right now is your bread. Work's your bread. Relationship's your bread. Whatever it is, what is it for you? So Jesus says food's only temporary. 
So think bigger. What you need is something that lasts. And so he says, don't fill up on temporary food, but the food that endures to eternal life. So Jesus challenges our need, but notice what he does next. He challenges our motivations. So Jesus says this, don't don't fill up on this food that doesn't last. Fill up on the food that's eternal. Notice what the crowd says. Verse 28, they say this. They say, well, okay, Jesus, then what what must we do to be doing the works of God? So, so don't work for this food. What are we supposed to work for? You know, the, the crowd, they, they wanted what Jesus gives them. They wanted him to keep giving these gifts. But Jesus says this. He says, don't come to me for what I give. Come to me for the relationship. See, notice, when, when the relationship disappears, everything becomes work. See, for the crowd, they weren't there for the relationship. They just wanted to work so they could get whatever it was that they thought was going to fill their need. And Jesus says, you guys are missing it. You have the wrong motivations. So notice verse 29, what Jesus says. Jesus says here in uh, verse 29. Then they said to him, what we must do, we must to do the works of God. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In the Old Testament, you come across the story in the book of Exodus. that The people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. They've been there for 400 years. and It was really a really horrible situation. And they cried out to God. God heard their cry and he rose up a man named Moses. And if you're familiar with the story, Moses goes and delivers the people of God out of Egypt. And they go across the Red Sea into the wilderness. And here they are in this place now where there is no food and there's no water. And they start to grumble. And so God says, I'm going to provide for you. And so God, one morning, they wake up and there's manna on the ground. And manna was this kind of, kind of imagine like the, the perfect frosted flake, but only bigger, right? On the ground. And it was there every morning. And they, and they loved it. It was so good. And God provided them just what they needed. But here was the deal about that manna. That manna only lasted for a day. So it didn't matter how much you collected, it would go bad after one day. And so you could grab as much as you needed, and next thing you know, it's, it's all gone. So God was teaching them to trust him. God was teaching them that it was a daily walk, a daily trusting. And so the crowd is looking back, and they're saying, okay, Jesus, you must be the new Moses, the prophet we've been waiting for, and now you're going to feed us every day just like Moses did in the, in, in the wilderness. You're going to bring manna. Jesus, you're like our manna 2.0. This manna is even going to be better. It's going to last even longer. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You guys are missing it. Notice what he says in verse 32. Then Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives to the world. And notice what they say in verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Like, keep it coming. If this bread comes from heaven, we want it. We want this bread so bad. We'll do whatever we need. Give us a sign first, right? Even though you fed 20,000 people yesterday, prove to us who you say you are, and then we'll follow you. Then we'll eat this bread that you give. See, we, we live in a world, I think, that is demonstrated by this crowd we live in a world where we want God's power and we want God's provision. We want the miracle, but we don't really want the man. We want God gives, but we don't necessarily want the person that comes along with it. And we end up settling for second best way too quickly. 
This is exactly what the crowd is doing right here. And this is what we do too. Last weekend, Courtney was out of town. Her and Hallie went to visit my sister-in-law in Nebraska. So it was me, Emma, Chloe, and the two dogs. So I had my hands full. But Courtney set us up well. She left us with chicken in the fridge, and I loved to grill. So it was all I had to do was literally turn the grill on and cook the chicken, and it would have been fantastic. But instead, I went to Chick-fil-A. Now, I don't think there's ever the bad time for the holy chicken sandwich, right? It's, it's always a good time. But isn't it funny how I've got just a wonderful meal ready for me in the fridge, and yet I go for the quick, easy option. We settle for second best way too often. We settle for second best so quickly. Why do we do that? Because it's easy. It's much easier. It's much easier to, 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 to try to do, do it something ourselves than to trust that in what God is doing. And this is what the crowd is doing right here. They, they settle for something quick. They just want this bread that he gives rather than what he is offering, which is life. Right in front of them is Jesus, the Son of God, the one who came to bring them life, to fill their souls with everything he gives. And they're saying, eh, we don't want you. We want this bread that you keep talking about. They settled for second best. And right here, Jesus sets them up. This whole conversation was just a setup for this amazing truth that Jesus is going to tell us about ourselves and what we need to hear. Notice what Jesus says. He's getting ready to bring this all together and reset their definition of life. Look at verse 35, John 6, verse 35. Jesus says to them, remember they said, sir, give us this bread. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You know, there's, um, there's a, it, some, some context here that I don't think we get. But it brings it into picture for us. In, in the Old Testament, when Moses was called to rescue God's people from Egypt, Moses is, is talking to God. And if, you, if you're familiar with the story of the burning bush, God reveals himself to Moses. And God says, Moses, go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And, and Moses says, God, I, I can't do this. I'm not the person to do it. God says, I'll be with you. And then Moses says, okay, God, if Pharaoh asks who, who sent me, what do I tell him your name is? And God says, you tell them, I am sent you. I am. And so the, the Jewish crowd would have understood immediately. The moment Jesus said, I am the bread of life, that Jesus was making a God claim. This is actually the first of seven I am statements we see in the book of John. And so Jesus right then is telling them, you want the bread from heaven? I am the bread from heaven. That I am God, that I am the one who fills you up, that your ancestors waited on Moses to bring them manna in the desert, and they ate and they died. But if you come to me, you will eat and never die. And right here, Jesus redefines the definition of life. He draws a line in the sand. He says the only way you will find life and what fills you up is in me. It's not in chasing the gifts that I give. It's not in the gift, but it's in the giver of the gift. And Jesus says this. He says that life is only found when Jesus becomes your bread. That anything else, fill the blank as your bread, life will not be found. You will always be chasing. Life is only found when Jesus becomes your bread. And notice what Jesus does here. Notice what he says happens when he becomes your bread. In verse 51. Look all the way over. John 6, verse 51. Jesus says this, and, and the, the, the disciples had a, had a hard time understanding what he was saying. And he says this. He says, or, or the crowd had a hard time understanding what he was saying. And he says this. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 
If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Notice that verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're not getting it. They're missing it still. Verse 53, so Jesus dives in deeper. Verse 53, so Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says in verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. That's a hard saying. It's hard to understand what Jesus is saying if you're not paying attention. Because Jesus is taking this picture of bread and this picture of drink and he's drawing it down into a spiritual need, a spiritual hunger, something that's so much deeper and beyond what we could ever have fulfilled by just eating and drinking alone. So Jesus says, look, I didn't come to bring bread. I came to be bread. Look, I didn't come just to improve your life. I came to be your life. A lot of scholars, many scholars will put this event happening on Passover the year before Jesus went to the cross. So this is going into year three of Jesus' ministry. So think about that. There's a crowd of 20,000 people the day before. We don't know how many people crossed the sea, but it was a big crowd. Many of these people have been following Jesus for two years. Two years they've been following Jesus. And the crowd was all about Jesus as long as he was giving them bread. But the moment Jesus challenges their allegiance and tells that the definition of life is now me, watch what happens. Verse 60 says that when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. This is a harsh saying. Who can understand it? And then look at verse 66. Jesus says this, and, or John says this, and after many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Thousands of people who followed Jesus for two years, and they walk away at this moment, and they leave. I think we've all been to a sporting event, or maybe you're at a play, or your kid's performance at school, and something distracts you, right, and you miss it. You ever been to a game, and like you're looking at your phone, or your buddy says something to you, and all of a sudden, somebody hits a home run, Right? Courtney tells a story about one time she was at a Chiefs game, and she was with her aunt and, and some, some friends, and she's at the game, and she decides, let's go get a soda. So she gets up, and she goes to the concession stand. Well, while she's gone, a streaker gets out on the field. This streaker was truly streaking, no clothes, right? Like just, just out there, running across the field, no clothes on. And what made this great is that the, the Chiefs mascot is Casey Wolf, big kind of bumbly-looking guy in a costume. He runs him down. Like the, the wolf runs down the streaker on the field, tackles him, the crowd roars. It was like the greatest thing that had happened in years. Team wasn't very good. Courtney gets back to her seat and she's like, you won't believe what you just missed. But of course, they're not going to show that on the replay, right? The guy doesn't have any clothes on. And so Courtney's bummed. She's like, man, I missed it. I, missed, I was there. I just was back there. We've all missed it. But this crowd really misses it. They're following Jesus. He's doing miracles. He's teaching them the word of life. He's telling them everything they need to know to follow. And it's so simple. Just follow me. Just believe in me. Yet he challenges their definition of life. And what do they do? They walked away. See, they wanted Jesus to be miracle worker, magician, and politician. They didn't want him to be savior and king of their lives. And so they missed the Son of God standing right in front of them. And thousands of people who thought Jesus' words were too hard and too harsh walked away right at that moment. 
And Jesus says, look, you guys are missing it. I'm not telling you that you need to drink blood and eat flesh. We're not a bunch of vampires here. We're not a bunch of cannibals here. What I'm telling you to do is you need to have faith. The way you seek after food to fill your hunger is the way you need to seek after me to fill your spiritual life. So it's all about faith. It's all about believing in me. Because I'm something that lasts. I never fade. So Jesus says, if you want to be full, then you need to fill up on me. So I think one of the challenges Jesus gives to us right now is he's asking us, what are we filling up on? And when we hear Jesus say this, does it cause us to stumble? Does it cause us to stir just like it did that crowd? What is your bread? What are you trying to fill up on? Because if you're like the crowd and you're saying, what I need, Jesus, is you and what you give. So Jesus, give me that relationship. Give me that job. Give me that perfect situation. Give me that health. Give me that fill in the blank. Then what you're doing is you're saying it's Jesus plus something else. And Jesus tells us that it can never be Jesus plus something else because Jesus plus something else doesn't work. Jesus says you either get all of me or none of me. You either feast on me as your bread and be full or you'll always be hungry. And that's a hard saying. And that's a hard truth. And that's even harder to do. But Jesus says it's going to hurt, it's going to sting, it's going to be difficult, but it's absolutely worth it. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis gives us the character of Aslan, the Christ-like figure, and it's just this beautiful story. And there's this scene early on in the book where Louis Pettengill and her family have entered into Narnia, and they are sitting down with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they're having dinner. And Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are talking about Aslan. They say, Aslan is on the move. And so Lucy doesn't know who Aslan is. And so she says this. This is great. I love this quote. She asks, who's Aslan? And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a, a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, Mr. Beaver says. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. I tell you, following Jesus is is hard. Giving up that thing that we are pursuing to fill us up is hard. It's difficult, but it's what you need. And Jesus is going to be there to give you exactly what you need. Why? Because he's good, and he's the king, and he loves you so much. He went to the cross and back for you so that you can have Life, so that God-sized hole in your heart can be filled with what you need more than anything else in the world. So the crowd walks away, and Jesus looks at his disciples, the 12. Thousands now drop to dozens, and he looks at the crowd, and notice what he says. Verse 67, Jesus says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Jesus says, look, now's your opportunity. If you want to go, if you want to go the easy route, go with them. And notice what Peter says in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus says, you want to leave too? And Peter's like, where are we going to go? We've been following you for three years, Jesus. We've seen the miracles you do. We've heard the words that you say. We know that you are the Holy One of God, and this might be really hard for us to hear because deep in our hearts, we want you to be king too. We're going to trust you. 
And we're going to follow you because there's nowhere else for us to go. You have the holy words of life. So as we think about what John is teaching us here in John 6, we have to ask that question. Do we believe what Jesus is saying? Is he right? Is he telling us the truth? That only we can be full and find meaning and purpose by following him. You know, a few years ago, Courtney and I felt like God was really kind of stirring in our hearts and was calling us into uh, to something beyond what we could even imagine. And we kind of went through the season where we were asking God, God, tell me what you want me to do. You guys ever been there? You're just kind of in a moment where you just don't, you, you just feel like something's unsettled and you start asking God, God, show me what you want me to do. Tell me where you want me to go. God, I'll do anything. Just tell me. You're like, God, just send me a smoke signal or maybe Moses, have him camped outside of my house. And you can just tell me, God, where do you want me to, to go? And so we start really kind of praying and asking God what, what, he's, what he's doing. God, well, God, what do you want us to do? And I was working in the corporate world and, and doing ministry at the same time, working by vocational. And God was asking, well, what's your bread? What is that thing you're filling up on? And I realized that my bread was comfort and security. That I had this great job, this gift that God had given me. It was a great company. I had job security for days. I, I, could, do, I could do ministry on the side and, and not have to, to, to worry about anything. But God said, trust me. And he was stirring us up that it was time to move away. That it was time to step away from that corporate job and follow him because he was calling us into something in ministry. We didn't know what it looked like. We said, God, show me what it is. But God didn't show me what it was. Rather, God says, you got to stop trying to fulfill yourself on that bread. And so me, I asked God for a sign, just like the the Hebrews do here, just like the the crowd does. I said, okay, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go part-time over here, and then I'm going to wait for you to show me what you want me to do. God, I'm going to put Drew's plan in place. Well, God quickly showed me that Drew's plan wasn't the right plan. And pretty quickly, God taught me the lesson that when he tells us to trust, he's talking about 100% trust. My plan fell apart, and I was left in a place where I no longer had that bread to eat. And God was saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. And so we did. And we began just to to trust, and it was hard. I'll be honest, there's been a lot of times over the past several years as doing ministry full-time like this where I've wanted to pick up that bread. I've wanted to try to take a bite of that bread, that comfort and that security that comes from something out there. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It's not going to fill you up. I'm saying, God, show me what you want to do. Jesus is saying, just trust me, and I'll take you where I want you to go. And I'll tell you, over and over again, God has shown me in my moments of weakness that he is always enough, and he's always enough every single time. The question we have to ask is, do we believe that he is enough? Because until we believe that he is enough, we will never put down the bread of the world and pick up the bread of Jesus. So what's your bread? Some of us in this room might think we can be honest and say that our bread is Jesus plus something else. My bread is relationships. My my bread is my job. My bread is my hobby. My bread is this addiction. My bread is zoning out at night with the TV on, trying to flatline my brain so I don't have to think about my problems. Whatever that bread is, Jesus is trying to tell you, you'll never feel full if you're feeding on something that fades. 
You will only feel full, Jesus says, if you feed on me. So here's my prayer for you. Wherever, as we close our time together this morning, I invite the band back up on stage. Wherever you are today, whatever you are finding as your bread that you are trying to find life and meaning and purpose on, see that it won't fill you. And see that Jesus is calling you right now to lay that at his feet. And I pray that your prayer becomes like my prayer was. Jesus, I want you and only you. And I'm going to trust that you'll give me everything that I need. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So let's set our bread to the side and pick up the holy bread of God. Let's pray together.